0: Hey, friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there.
1: And the message that I've learned this year so far is to trust and rely on the truth, the truth that is embedded in your heart. Chances are, if you believe with that, you're going to overcome and be able to navigate and just be a better human. So that is something that me and I both are committed to. We are growing, we're thriving. However, we have to be mindful that we got to give grace to each other where that is present, then we will flourish. And that is the same for our children.
0: Welcome back to the Building Us podcast. I am Eric Garcia, certified financial planner and financial advisor, and always I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Matt Morris, family therapist. Matt, a few weeks ago, we had a, a, a lovely conversation with a couple, Mike and Leah Stansel. They're an interracial marriage, and uh, that episode uh, was one of our more popular episodes. So apparently, we're talking about things that people want to hear.
2: Yeah, and, and on that episode, we started by saying, you know, we're just really interested in other people's experience and what life is like in their life. And and so uh, we knew that when we recorded that, we wanted to do an additional show with a, with another couple. And so here we are today with uh, the Prudomes talking about interracial relationships.
0: Yeah, before we get to uh, Daniel and Julia here. I'm going to just encourage you, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app, whether it's uh, Apple or Spotify. Just go ahead and hit subscribe so that our podcast will be delivered every Thursday morning directly to your phone. So let's get to it. Daniel and Julia are uh, they're common friends of ours. We've, we've known them for for some time, Matt. And I'm going to let Daniel and Julia introduce themselves. So Daniel, Julia, welcome to the show.
3: Thank, Thank you. you. Well, yeah, thanks for having us on, Daniel and Julia Prudham. Um, we uh, have been married for, now i have to do my math now real quick, but we have been married for 15 years. It will be 16 in a few months here. All right. And, and we are an interracial couple. I am um, black or African-American, and Julia is Caucasian.
2: So you guys have been together for a long time. And I imagine dating before, I think you said 16 years.
3: Correct.
2: Correct. How did you guys meet?
1: Uh, We were living in the same city um, in Cincinnati and we went out to listen to a local band. So some live music and we met there. Um, We became friends, stayed friends for a while, but then we actually had a long distance relationship when Daniel's career took off and um, dated. Um, that way for a while, and then um, eventually got uh, engaged and married.
2: How did that transition from, you know, we're out live music, it's great, feels good. To it's a it's a, uh, a probably an aphrodisiac kind of experience. Anyway, how did that transition from friendship to interest, and and then attraction, and then you know, love ultimately.
1: Breakfast. <laughs> Conversations over breakfast—that's yeah. how it started. We became, We, we um, became best friends. I guess we're really good friends um, from the very beginning because we talked an awful lot. And uh, like I said, we had a long-distance relationship soon thereafter. So we really had to rely on conversating um, back and forth on the phone. This was before uh, Zoom and WebEx, and so uh, long before. Um, Even before the iPhone. Yes, we were barely texting. Um, And so we talked an awful lot, and that helped us get to know one another, who we were um, foundationally, and also just our interests, and um, it just spurred
3: from
2: there. Dan, do you want to add anything to that? Like when when did you notice, like, attraction?
3: Well, I mean, I noticed attraction the first night. That's part of the reason we met. But uh, you know, she kind of kept me at bay for a significant while there, in uh, ah. the, the
2: friendship yeah. hole
3: for a, yeah. a little while before things opened
2: up. How did um, how did your community? It sounds like you were in Cincinnati at the time, uh, Daniel. I know that you're from Louisiana. How did your community, you know your your friend, uh, your 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 work groups, your community around you, and ultimately your family, initially respond to you guys as a couple?
3: I'll take I'll take community, Julian. And I'll let you go, family. Um, so community-wise, for that time frame was was for me a whole bunch of uh, you know young professional adults who are fresh out of college. No one was really only a few were from Cincinnati, so we were all sort of open-minded and out, just kind of kind of having a lighthearted good time, so to speak. So there wasn't an issue there on my side for the early part of the dating for sure. Uh, but we were in Cincinnati and around her family and then Cincinnati itself is a fairly conservative city but it's a it's it's not a it's not a you know there's a difference between the north and the south right and I, I usually describe it to say that the south is friendly but not necessarily polite or the north is polite but not necessarily friendly <laughs> so you know we, we might get a few stares and looks but no one's going to say anything versus in the south you're going to know exactly how people feel so that's that's kind of how it it felt early on, right? we got some stares
2: and looks here and there, but, you know, everyone's pretty much to themselves. Julia, I think you were going to say something about family.
1: Yes. So when we, um, when we first started dating, uh, my family liked him immediately. Uh, My father had been deceased for just a few short years. um, So my, my family dynamic had changed quite a bit um, right before Daniel and I met obviously with his passing. And so, um, I think they were just excited to see me um, enjoying myself and um, getting to know him. Uh, you know, we weren't that serious before he had to move out or leave Cincinnati. Uh, so really in the very beginning, it was it was very um, easygoing, um, fun-loving, and enjoyable time. Um, it was, though, when we started to get more serious and when he asked my mom for my hand in marriage um, that we needed to have... I guess, deeper discussions about what life would look like, um, as a married couple in, um, being interracial.
2: Uh, That sounds
0: great.
2: That sounds like, um, not not so much prejudice as just concern or just thoughtfulness about what your experience might be out in, out in the world, out in community.
1: Correct. And it was really around, I think it wasn't so much about Daniel and I, it was more of when we would have children, what it would be like for the children raising them in, um, in this environment. And at the time, you know, we're young, we're in our 20s, we had no idea what parenthood would even look like or feel like. And however, my mom, um, she knew, and so she didn't know exactly what it would be like, but that was her one concern that the children might have difficulty um, just understanding who they were. Um, because they weren't black and they weren't white, they were going to be mixed and so um, she we talked about that and um, yeah. of course Daniel and I were in love and we um, it didn't matter I mean we, we thought about it we talked about it took into consideration of course, but it, it wasn't something that would waver us um, So we um, with her blessing and and all, my entire family and his um, we we went ahead and got married so.
2: Yeah, those are serious conversations. Those are, those are intense conversations for what sounds like an early part of your relationship where you're not really thinking that, that far ahead yet. Yes. yes. They,
3: were, they were probably less intense between her and I. Uh, there were yeah. some uh, extended family members who expressed some significant concern. Uh, that concern was, was more expressed to her mom and, and family members when we were not there versus to us. Uh, but that that's probably the only major um, pushback but I can't even use the word major because as I said it wasn't really ever expressed to us. It was kind of spoken uh, to other family members
0: but do you feel like I'm curious one if you'd be willing to share maybe what some what some what some of that pushback was um, but then also just the just knowing that there is that it exists, but no one talks about it around you. No one comes to you about it. They're talking about it kind of around you. Kind of that has to create some some weird, uh, some weird situations as well.
1: There was there was some strange. I'll call it energy. There was definitely uh, not knowing what they would say, um, knowing that they were saying something. And I think it really stems from really uh, that true prejudice of. How can, how can she being white marry him who is black and not even realizing how much in common they had? Um, when you go beneath the color of one's skin and you get to know someone, um, my family didn't even realize how much he was very much like my father, very much like the uncle, um, who was having these conversations with his sister, and my mom. And so, um, it really was, uh, I think for me the first time that I was like, Oh wow, this is, um, this is a thing. You know, this is something that we have to talk about. This is something that we have to, uh, think about. But for me, I didn't, I didn't think that way at all. So, um, it was, there was a pause, I think. And, and, um, but my mom, again, she was, she knew her daughter was happy. She knew her daughter was in love and she knew that Daniel was a good man and a good fit. And so I think, in her heart of hearts, she had no qualms about it, and so we all rested well. His parents, as well, they had they had some concerns about um, about the relationship, but after we professed what we had professed and speaking to them about it, they um, they came around as well. Because after all, we're we're all humans. That's that's what we are. We all have a heart and a mind, and um, you know, it's um, it's a good thing. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you know, and Eric and Matt, you guys know the more reserved Daniel now as I'm a little older, so I was probably a little more um, bullheaded back then. So, you know, I, I kind of, you know, the, the uncle she's referencing and, and a friend of the family wanted to meet us, so they had a dinner. I flew in that night because we are doing long-distance relationships, so we'd fly back and forth once a month and, and see each other. I was in New Orleans by the end. She was in Cincinnati still, and I remember going, and I said, well... Just gotta go over there if they want to have a conversation. We can step outside and have a conversation, right? And that was kind of my mentality. Uh, I, I was I was pretty pretty rigid back then. And, were you the looking?
0: Other, you were looking for a
3: fight? I was not looking, but I was not you gonna back down. You to step down. outside? <laughs> I right? was not gonna back down. Um, but the other piece, you know, we, one of the, the thoughts and, and concepts came with concerns, you know, of our friends and stuff. And I, I remember clearly saying, you know what? If if they truly love us, then they'll get behind us. And if they can't get behind us, then I don't know if we need them in our lives. And once again, that's probably a fairly rigid and uh, maybe even offensive way to look at it. But that's just kind of how I felt at the time. You know, I, mm-hmm. I felt like if if you truly love me and want me to be happy, you can adapt and adjust. And if it means that much to you that you can't, then that's that's your priorities getting in the way of of your relationship with me.
0: So was there a fight that night? No, no. Did no. you step outside? No. <laughs>
1: We did not yeah. have to step outside. <laughs> no, <laughs> there was lots of Chianti and uh breaking of bread and olive oil that night. Fel-
2: yeah. Fellowship, fellowship yes, helps a lot. There was lot. fellowship. <laughs> you know, you kind of alluded to this earlier—the uh the difference between being in Cincinnati and being in the Southern U.S. Did you, did you guys experience something different culturally? Uh, from when you lived in Ohio to when you moved back to Louisiana,
1: yes, um very much so in that well, and we have to I have to remind myself too New Orleans is a little bit even more so um, friendly than the rest of Louisiana in my opinion, just being from the north however um, people here um, will talk to you no matter what if they know you or if they don't know you I mean you know you're in the aisle at Home Depot and, hey baby, you know, did you see this scrubber was on sale? And I'm like, who are you? You know, in in Ohio, that would never happen. Um, the the cashier in the checkout line barely looks at you. Um, they don't, it's just a very different um, existence in how you interact in your community. And so, um, you know, but that being said, once you're in your community, um, people are great, obviously. In the community that we were in um, when we lived um, outside of Cleveland for seven years with them, well, all three boys um, being born there, we had a really good, great group of people. And it was an inner mix of um, Asian, Indian, um, African, American, white, Italian. There were people from all corners of the world there. And so that was kind of nice. It was great to share recipes and and understand the backgrounds and the heritage of the different people. Um, So it wasn't difficult once we got into our community. But here... Everybody is just, hey, how you doing? And they're they're sweet, so it is different. Got to break the ice in Ohio.
3: Yeah, I'd say the only time we saw it was uh, some of the uh, more upscale restaurants here in New Orleans, the more famous okay. restaurants here in New Orleans. I, I mm-hmm. can remember sitting down at a Sunday brunch at one of them, and the uh, older women women in that room looked at us as if we should not have belonged the there. The entire time it, it was it was uncomfortable but it was also as i explained my attitude earlier i was kind of like whatever right so it, it was uncomfortable to know that they were still there so you're a little frustrated but i mean it was just that those were the experiences we, we experienced down here in louisiana and more and so new orleans not anything harsh mm-hmm. you
2: know definitely a a message communicated in a gaze yes <laughs> yes daniel as a as a uh, a black guy black male do you have you received any messages about marrying a white woman from the black community is that has that been part of the experience
3: yeah i don't know i think it's kind of the same thing i think they they then stare at her when we go to to functions right you know early on at least um i can remember going to a a wedding of a customer of mine um a very very nice elegant wedding and she was one of the the few caucasians there and it's the first time i had uh, been in the social room of all of those versus where I just worked in the operating room with, with most of them. And uh, we definitely had some gazes then and had a few buddies that were like, man, you blew the doors off when you walked in and heard nobody expected this, et cetera. Mm. Uh, so it was some, you know, I, I'd, I'd say almost lighthearted uh, comments, but um, definitely just uh, some things like that, that, you know, kind of make you scratch your head but that, you know, we didn't really expect to, to happen before. Once again, never any, you know, we're blessed because I know a lot of people who had, you know, been called names and had things said or thrown at cars and stuff like that. And we we have not had any of of those instances.
2: You know, in in the other episode that we did about interracial marriage, the four of us were kind of talking for a minute about messages that we heard as kids about interracial relationships, bad advice or... Or just messages, uh, you know. I can remember my my grandmother, who's deceased, clearly indicating to me that she did not think people of different races should be in should be married to each other. I can remember like her saying, "They shouldn't do that," and, and what they meant was they shouldn't be together. I can also remember my dad as a when I was in middle school. I think I think I asked him about what you know how would he feel about me dating somebody of a different race. And he said very clearly, "I don't, I don't care as long as she loves you." And and the way he said that with genuineness made me feel like that was truly how he felt. So, so for the rest of us, whether do you remember? Do you have some 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 memories of some bad advice or some ideas you you got from childhood about interracial relationships? You want me to
1: start? Or sure. You want to go? Okay. Sure. Okay. Uh, not easy, but I, it was uh, very simple. Don't do it. It was a clear mm. message. Um, as, a, as a kid? Uh, well, no, no, not as a kid. I mean, or a teenager? Yeah, I, mean, or like, I, was a child. I was a teenager, but it was you are who you hang with, and um, absolutely there will be no uh, interracial dating in this family
2: mm. at all. So. You, you didn't stick to that.
1: my heart was drawn to my the that i you know it was so it's (laughs) just so
2: breakfast such a lovely person that's what yeah that's what breakfast (laughs) will do it's such a lovely person yeah good looking i'm curious was this
0: was this message because you talk about your mom and how supportive she's been so i'm gonna make the assumption that it wasn't necessarily coming from her per se but was this just like a, a so this
1: is well a good thing to okay so my mom is 75 five, and my dad would have been two years older than her so my mom's mom and dad she was irish he was roman catholic they were not married in the church because they were considered interracial marriage so they had to get married in the priest chambers so they that relationship started in the the division of um, the Italian sisters not treating my grandmother properly and my mom witnessing that and speaking Italian in front of her when she didn't speak Italian and talking, you know, and so that, that trickled down. Then my dad, um, came from a a staunch German, um, household that just didn't waver and believed that, you know, you stick with who you know. And, um, and so that's what they led with. They didn't grow in that way, I don't think, much um, it, throughout their adult lives, especially not by the time I was hearing that messaging. It's not like they had gone through any um, great thought about it. It was just this is what you do, this is what you don't do, and it fits in this nice little box, and this is how life is kind of a thing.
0: Yeah. Marry your own. It's easier. You know each yes. other, right? You understand each other. Yeah. Yes. Right. yeah th- yes. Those are probably the messages that I heard, like marry your right. own. It makes more sense.
3: Right. Easier. That's a good one. It, yes. Yeah. And and that's you know there's some truth to that. It probably is easier, right? There's some truth to that. Does not mean that it has to be the gospel and how you live your life, right? It's also easier just to you know go do a daily job and clock in and clock out every day. It's that's easier. I hope there's a whole lot of stuff that's easier.
0: (laughs) Certainly, certainly commonality, and I would argue the 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 commonalities between you two is far greater than the differences of something superficial as, as skin color, you know, skin color is, is obviously something that we take note of, but at the end of the day, it's not a reflection of, of personality. It's not a reflection of character. It's not a reflection of compatibility. Uh, so to base, to base those messages off of something so superficial as the color of your skin, quite frankly is, is it's silly and and, and foolish
2: you know daniel you were kind of um mentioning there that it is easier to to relationships in some way are easier to be with somebody that grew up in very similar ways to to how you grew up yeah more Um, culture yes yeah you know speaking the same language for instance or uh eating the same foods or using the same idioms those those kind of things make uh life in some way easier relationships are always hard but those little bits get easier have there been some funny ways in which growing up differently has shown up in your, your home?
1: <laughs> Describe, what do you mean by funny?
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> funny to both of you. Okay. Like maybe funny later.
1: <laughs> yeah, funny later, later.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless like you wanted to become a client of Matt's, funny like, to both of you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you. You laugh now. You cried then, but you laugh now.
1: I know. Um, I think food is probably the easiest one to laugh about. I mean, in all cultures, right? I mean, food is the way that you compare it, the way that you handle it, the way that you, that you engage with it, the way that um, you consume mm. it. It's just, it, there's such differences. And so um, I'll never forget uh, the first Thanksgiving I spent with Daniel's family. I was looking at this huge spread of food and amazing spread. But I, I was like, where's the salad? <laughs> Where's, you know, where's the salad? In my house, it was, in our, yeah. growing up, it was this oven-roasted, really dry turkey that wasn't fabulous and, and just stuffing in it, you know, which I never ate. But like, I was looking for the vegetables. And so it, to me, it it was just a, a big, big difference. And, and yeah. we laugh about it now because now, you know, I'll, I'll be the one that will supply or, or make the, a vegetable if, if, if I know it, there won't be one. But that being said... Um, we've had many times where, um, you know, cooking with with this type of um, this type of seasoning versus that type of seasoning, and um, and we laugh now, but like I still don't, and I'm sorry, I don't like Tony Sasheries. I just it's Me not either. my flavor.
2: Yeah, <laughs> y'all, y'all don't season your food up there. though.
1: See, that's what Daniel says, and y'all I don't know how to season- eat. <laughs> <laughs> we also have low blood pressure. <laughs>
0: I mean, come on, that's relative.
1: I am kidding. Yeah. No, I'm, so I'm this joking. Is, so it, that's
0: a similar experience to, to my wife and I, and I never really, Matt one day joked with me, and he's like, hey, you're in a, you're in a, um, a biracial marriage, an interracial marriage. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, you're, you're Cuban and your wife's not. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And I started looking at it through the lens of like different culture, maybe not different race per se, but her? different culture. I'm like, wait a minute, yeah, I grew up very differently than her. Um, and I started to understand that and it, it probably, it probably shed light on some things and, um, helped me understand some things and, and maybe be more patient, um, on some things and understand myself as well.
3: Absolutely, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, she, even Thanksgiving, right. They, they got dressed up for Thanksgiving dinner, right. And we were in jeans and boots and a ball cap and t-shirt,
0: right. I mean, we're just, yeah. <laughs> did they have name placards? Like you sit here <laughs> yeah.
1: Not quite, yes. but Not we got dressed up.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. I mean, all the good China's out, all of that stuff. You know, so just, just some differences that
2: way. Yeah. You know, and, and what you're talking about, food, traditions, customs, um, holidays are very much a sense of home and homes can feel very different, can feel very familiar or unfamiliar. And I imagine that's one of those things that people from at least different cultures regularly experience yeah i wanted to move on to um julia you started talking about kids a a little while ago and um you know when my wife and i decided to have kids um i guess you know pretty quickly i had an image of what this kid might look like we had those you know those 4d ultrasounds back then and so you got to see some some shape of their face they're all gold looking but you had some kind of shape of their
0: face those things, and you those start creep to creep me out i'm just gonna say they are Il- like aliens. creep me out
2: <laughs> anyway you know you start to picture what your kid might look like when our first kid came out they still looked so different than what i was picturing in my mind that both my wife and i stepped away from that sucker and didn't want to touch him <laughs> we just felt like what is that and where did it come from did you guys, I'm not saying you had that experience, <laughs> sorry to your kids. Um, did you Do I not have, watch videos?
0: Were, <laughs> like,
2: did you, did you, uh, did y'all have, have to have more conversations and thoughts around what your kids would look like?
3: I, you know, I think, uh, and by the way, you know, when they say newborns are beautiful, the thought of life is beautiful, but there's not many newborns that are actually beautiful. So I, I Amen. concur. Um, But, um, uh, no, I mean, I think we were kind of excited about it um, selfishly and and, and bragging on our our boys. We we think um, mixed-race babies are absolutely beautiful in their skin, complexion, and hair. So we we were actually really excited about uh, the outcome there. And uh, God has has done us three good favors there, so we're we're pleased. But uh, I I don't think that was a, a concern. you think so, Julia?
1: Not at all. So much so that, I mean, with Isaiah, we didn't even want to know the sex. So, um, we want to be completely surprised. I mean, there's so few awesome surprises in life that are good surprises. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity to have that. And so we just, we didn't even want to know what he was getting. We we're like, ah, I can, I can paint the room pink or blue or whatever later. And it was just, um, from, from the beginning, it was just an awesome, um, nice surprise to look at the gorgeous, beautiful, um, human beings that, um, uh, That that came from it so it was it was it was not anything I never once thought I wonder you know I mean we kind of joked about oh maybe they'll get my green eyes and his you know his skin or or whatever but they are who they are and there's no no green eyes eyes, but it's okay (laughs) it's all right
2: (laughs) yeah you you all have uh, beautiful children I know them Um, beyond beyond what they look like what were some of your other discussions around just having kids and what it kind of sounds like what your, Julia, what your, your family was um, thinking about, the, the challenges that they might experience or, or different experiences that they might have or what darker skin might mean in our culture and society and age and time.
1: That's a good one. And I feel that we were slightly more insulated than others if just because of our socioeconomic bracket that we were in, that we are in. And so it has afforded us to live um, with uh, plenty of safety, um, completely nurtured. And so we then had our community was basically that same. I mean, homes that were, um, you know, from what the outside eye could see that they were well-adjusted, safe, um, you know, always had food on the table, plenty of presents under the Christmas tree if they celebrated, that sort of thing. So um, in the beginning, it didn't really register with me at all, honestly, that I had biracial children because um, it didn't matter. It didn't matter until just this year, really, because our oldest is just now 10. And so um, Mm. I, I I never thought about my son wearing a hoodie and how he might, be in trouble because it was too young. Our, our kids, I mean, they're, they're 10, 9, and, and 6 right now, and so it didn't occur to me um, back then as it has been now top of mind um, as of recent, so.
3: So my, my thought process is a bit different. Uh, it has always been on my mind, um, and so we, we've done some things intentionally. When we moved to the neighborhood in Cleveland, um, I did a lot of research in the neighborhoods and narrowed down to the three or four that. Would at least match the U.S. equivalent of percentage of African Americans by population, right? So it was at least 12% African American in those neighborhoods, and I, I do I do research on um, the percentage of high school grads, college grads, and, and and try to find you know the higher numbers of that to try to put us in the area that would would be more accommodating. Uh, that's also also tied to less crime and safety and all that, but. I also feel like if we can do that, we can sort of sort of put our kids in, in the bubble, which is good and bad, um, but at least they have the innocence of that childhood life, right? And, and so now we are, as, as she was just saying, uncovering uh, some things and pulling the veil back and, and talking to them a little bit, but we just didn't want to, we did not want that to be part of their life thrown upon their shoulders at an early age where they had to be concerned about it before it was time. So we, we virtually just uh, were, were able to kind of skirt around that for the most part um, but that yeah that's always been a, a factor of mine from the schools to where we live the church uh, we went to in, in Cleveland was probably a 6040 split we've we just always tried to find that mix and, and happy medium and I you know this is probably ironically right New Orleans being a heavy black populace is probably the toughest time we've had ie um, our circle of friends are probably mostly Caucasian. So our kids don't get a lot of African-American influence because I don't have a social life, basically. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. right? We work and my social life with them is uh, at the ball fields, coaching and, and rec sports. But like, I don't necessarily have that social circle. Uh, part of it's time, part of it's on me, not going out to seek it. But um, that's that's probably um, the, the most concerning element for me in, in their upbringing.
0: And I know, Daniel, you and I have had conversations about this specifically, about uh, it being really important to you for your boys to have black influence in their life and to yeah. see black successful people in in different aspects of their life. Why Why is that such an important thing?
3: Yes, yeah, I, I don't want them to think that uh, that life is one way and, and they, they have to follow a certain lifestyle of what they've seen only from... Uh, you know, the Caucasian side of life, et cetera, right? I I want them to be able to navigate wherever they go. If they're in a fully black crowd, I want them to be comfortable and to be able to navigate and be able to thrive. If they're in a fully white crowd, I want them to be able to bounce back and forth and be comfortable and all. And there are a lot of people that cannot do that, right? There are a lot of people that are immediately uncomfortable if they're the minority in in that group or in the room. And so that's, for me, that's really important.
2: You you guys have said a lot in the last few minutes that I'd love to dig into a little bit more. Um, but I, I'm really thinking about, um, Julia, you, you were saying that we didn't really have to be explicit or, or think explicitly or talk explicitly with our kids about, um, what race might mean for them until this year. And it's 2020, there's been a lot going on in the U S regarding race. Um, but Daniel, I want to shift it back to you for a minute as a, as the, as the father and uh, a black father with um, boys that will be read by parts of culture as being black. What, what sort of feelings have you had about parenting black young men and both keeping them savvy and safe in a, in a, in a culture and a climate that, frankly doesn't always accept them on face value if you will
3: yeah um so it's interesting because it's um somewhat anticipated by me right i I had the same lessons taught Mm. to me by my parents and older siblings and cousins so i fully expect to, to then teach it to them so it's not a surprise it's not like this new thing but yes when they start to get to the point where they're able to go out and hang with their friends. And I'm not talking about a play date where we know, you know, they're there for an hour and a half. We know the parents are coming right back. But when they start to get some freedom, we're gonna to have to sit down and have some conversations because they have to understand, hey, if you were three or four of your buddies and you're in middle school, and all of a sudden little Johnny has this crazy idea to go do something well, you need to stop and think who you're with and how it might be perceived if you're with them and caught, right? Um, and, and it's just sometimes the world's a little more harsh in regards to black kids or black males specifically and, and the repercussions and the, the assumptions that, that go along with it. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to have those conversations and we're going to have to have the conversations uh, about you know respect and respect of authority, respect to you know if that situation occurs with the police officer, all of those things, right? But um, I do think 90% of the issues and, and events that let's say the issue might be there, but 90% of the events can be avoided. And that's something I I, um, I I talk about in the barbershops, uh, mostly mostly with an unpopular uh, feedback. But, uh, you know, there, there's things that can be avoided. And, and sometimes you got to make sure that you're not fighting that battle at, at the wrong stage of, of the process.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that, that reminds me of, um, I, you know, I'm a professor and so I have a, a, a lot of graduate students. And a lot of my graduate students are, are black or African-American. And uh, we've been having conversations with them recently about, Issues about race and police violence, and their their emotional reaction to that right now, and and a guy was telling me a, a story the other day. A black guy was telling me a story, a story about um, his experience being pulled over by the police and being harassed, and how how just upsetting that was for him. All of this was happening while there were police protest or protests of police downtown in New Orleans, and he wanted to go to the protest, and he was telling me that his family members stopped him and said, that's not your place right now. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't, don't put yourself in that situation right now. And I thought that was so interesting that his family didn't, his family was aware that that might be a situation that he could avoid and not put himself in if, if that might have negative repercussions for him. It sounds like kind of what you're thinking about with your your boys as well.
3: Yeah, and that, and that's a catch twenty two for me. I, you know, we've done some silent kneeling on, on uh, Carrollton. Uh, they kneel every day at six o'clock for uh, that that duration. This is
2: one of the this is one of their sports sports teams.
3: No, no, on, on Carrollton Avenue, oh. uh, right oh. around Oak. Uh, there's there's a silent protest every every evening at six p.m. <clears throat> um, and so we've done some of that. Uh, it, it's a catch twenty two because someone has to be out there protesting and fighting for equal rights but i think in that situation knowing that he was probably emotionally um amped up so to speak and maybe even angry frustrated from the from that day's events i think that probably was a very wise move of his family members and friends to say that's probably not a good good idea but yeah i i I, you know and i would love to matt if that opportunity ever presents itself to me to come and sit in on that class and maybe have some conversations and dialogue uh, with some of the younger males, but you know, I saw a thing the other day that uh, was basically a questionnaire saying, "How many of you are? What age were you the first time a cop pulled a gun on you?" And it was mostly African Americans responding, and there were so many that was like thirteen, seventeen, but blah, 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 like the the commonality of that happening mm. was astounding, and it shouldn't be that way, right? And mm. so for for anyone who says that's not an issue, we all have to respected police, yes, you're, 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 that is 100% right, but there shouldn't be that many people with a gun drawn on them by cops. I'm sorry, it just, it just shouldn't shouldn't be there, you
0: know? Yeah, I was sharing with Matt, and Daniel, you may have actually been part of those conversations several weeks ago. I don't know exactly who I was talking to, but I know Matt was part of it, and, and just in conversations that I've been having in the past few months with different people, uh, with my black friends and my white friends, just asking the question, hey, what's been your experience with, with police? I'm curious. And it's amazing to me the uh, I don't have a specific number, but the majority of my black friends have had some experience, not a negative experience. Some gun being drawn, some some run in for for no apparent reason. And the majority of my white friends have not had an experience, positive or negative. Just it's just non-existent. And, and that unscientific kind of survey, I think, is is what you're talking about right there. That hey, this this is a thing. It exists. Um, whether we you know whether we think it's a thing or not that doesn't change the fact doesn't change truth 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 is truth regardless of what we think about it uh, and and hearing from you and your stories and and from other friends like this is a thing
2: cool. going back to your kids for a minute um you you mentioned that they're in uh they're in school obviously they're in sports leagues and those kinds of things and w- one thing that people may not know about new orleans that's not not great about new orleans is that there's still a ton of segregation in new orleans uh specifically in schools and in extracurricular activities i mean you can go to you can go to ball, ball fields and in new orleans and 95 percent of the kids will be white or you can go to another part of town and go to the ball fields and i mean there'll be 15 teams out there but 95 of the players are, are of one race yeah. um we, <laughs> What's that experience been like for you guys having biracial kids? Uh have you found places for them to play um that have been more integrated and, and kind of what's been your, your reaction to, your gut reaction, your heart reaction to to the segregation that's in New Orleans? Jogu, so do you have
3: something to say first? Well,
1: just considering myself and the color of my skin and the background and my upbringing, where I come all the way up to this point, to me, it doesn't feel uncomfortable where we are because I am not the minority. Daniel is the minority, um, on the ball field for us. And so, um, when you turn the tables and you go somewhere and you are the minority, then your lens in which you're looking through changes quite a bit. So, For me, um, it hasn't it hasn't resonated as much, I think, um, as it has with Daniel. And so, for our children and their sake, I don't know that they see any difference at this point because it's all the people they go to school with. So for them, I think it probably feels very much normal. But Daniel, I'm going to pass that off to you and let you because I know you've got some good stuff to talk about.
3: Yeah, it's it's been uh, apparent in many situations, uh, and I I can't I can't fully say that any of the issues were tied to race as much as uh when you talk about new orleans i mean i've been in a room with surgeons we're talking about the most educated people on the planet and you know somebody says hey where'd you go to school and they talk about their high school right that's that's new orleans it's all about the high school you went to and and so that that culture in the park that we play at the recreational park that we play at uh is, is still there and very heavy, and so you see some of those bonds and and some of that favoritism shown there. I can't, you know, I I would be uh, I would be hypocritical to to just call it out as as uh, a racial issue. I think it is, you know, more of that familiarity from their their high school buddies and growing up, et cetera. But it is definitely apparent. Uh, fortunately, uh, our boys are, are fairly athletic, so they've kind of found their way to to get to the, the top of the group and just about everything and so they can compete. But we've definitely seen sometimes where, uh, it's, it's the favoritism is shown there.
2: So how do you, how do you talk to your kids about that? If, if you do, or it sounds like you're, you're beginning to talk more about them, about race and ethnicity to them. How, how are you doing that? How are you navigating those conversations?
3: Well, on that, also real quick on the ball field, one of the ways I get around that is I coach. Right. i'm on the field with them and even if i'm not head coach i'm assistant coach so i'm making sure that i'm out there volunteering as well and um that just and that that is not for favoritism as my of my kids but just to for me even other children of color that are, are there i am making sure that i'm giving them the attention they need and, and trying to help them improve as well um mm-hmm. but as far as uh our kids you know it's you know we, we find the times you know we'll, we'll take Times where we, you know, pull up a, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali when, when we were Kings movie, right? We'll watch that and that'll give them some questions that they start asking all of a sudden. Or I'll pause it on certain things and explain it to them. And, um, every now and then they would just, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, as, as kids do, it just kind of lingers. Whatever we've talked about, whatever it could be a week later, and they're like, so dad, you know, if you were... This was a long time ago, and they think a long time ago was the 80s, by the way. But if this was a long time ago, (laughs) would would you have blah blah blah? Would you you have to have been a slave? I mean, whatever whatever questions they've come up with, and you could just see the wheels turning, right? So I'll try to tell them some some stories about my parents and some of the things they went through and how it's gotten better now. It's going to continue getting better for them, and you know, just continue to treat people with respect and and make sure that you know. that you are respected, that you don't let people walk over you, but you treat them with kindness and respect first, and uh, just try to, feel you know, the, the same basic principles that, that most people should be teaching their kids. I hope.
0: Hey, can I uh, can I change the topic away from kids real quick? Because I know y'all have a hard stop, and um, uh, there's a there's a question that I'm dying to get to, Matt. I, I don't know if you have any more follow ups. I don't want I don't want to chop off your your uh, your line of questioning. So, Julia, you mentioned earlier about kind of your socioeconomic. Uh, status, your position has has afforded you the ability to, to I guess, put yourself in in, in healthier I guess situations for your kids, um, safety and and security, all those things that we hope for our kids. But I I know just in conversations with Daniel, um, one that Daniel works incredibly hard. Um, you've you've had a lot of success at what you do. You work for a fairly large company, but you, we've had conversations about, um, your frustration as, uh, as a black man, you putting in a ton of work and getting looked over and getting looked over. And I'm just curious to hear a little bit about that, that experience, because I know money, money impacts relationships and money um, impacts all this, this, you know, family, um, stuff. So share, share a little bit about that with, with us. Yeah.
3: So, you know, I, um, what 41? I'll be 42 this year. I've had two jobs in my career with major corporations, uh, both in you know, easily uh, you know, Fortune 500 at times Fortune 100 companies. One was a major healthcare company that's a household name, and another is a major tech company that's a household name. And in both of them, uh, I've seen kind of the same situations unfold, and it is very similar to the situation we just talked about, the bowl fields, it's that familiarity. So I worked my way up the corporate ladder in, in, the, in the medical side, in the medical corporation I was working for, and um, 100% I felt like I, I had to just just sweat and grind and do everything right because I was being judged uh, with a more critical eye. Uh, I wasn't i was the guy being asked to go out and have drinks for happy hour, and, and those are the guys that were navigating and getting to the promotions quicker, and. Um, it was just, just that, that camaraderie that was automatic for some where I had to really work for and, and just try to prove my merit. Um, now, maybe I should have gone to more happy hours and stuff like that, but that's not not typically my forte. I like to come home to my family more than going out to, to have a beer with coworkers. But um, those are some of the, the networking opportunities afforded to some and the automatic assumption. Uh, and, I, you know, I can remember trying to do everything right. And I was a manager at this point. I worked my way up to to where I thought I wanted to be. And I'm talking to other people at the same level. And they're like, are you kidding me? I don't do that. You know, we had company cars. I don't ride with my reps. I never ride with my reps. I'm driving a separate car. And, and we're, we're, you know, we're doing reports on those every single month. And, and just cutting corners left and right because they could. No one was ever going to ask them those questions. No, no one was ever going to critique them on it. Versus, I had to make sure I dotted all my eyes and cross my T's because uh, everything was viewed with a more critical eye for for my work.
0: Yeah, I was listening to a, a presentation once by a black man. He was talking about raising his his son, and he said he told his son that you can do anything that a white person can do. You just might have to work twice as hard. And when I heard that, I immediately thought of our conversation because that was almost identical to to the the um, experience that you shared with me
3: yeah in some instances you know, I, would, I would not ever go on record saying oh it's always that way but yes i have experienced that for sure
1: even at the level that you were at which was a higher level so yes every yes. step of the way yeah
0: oh man we have a hard stop here i know that that y'all have stuff to get to so i want to um, just go ahead and, and wrap this up and give y'all an opportunity. There's so, many, there's so many other questions I have, but I want to give each of you an opportunity uh, real quick just to maybe give some parting thoughts. What are some things that you would hope that people would understand or, or, or be able to, um, yeah, to, to understand better? Julia, you want to go, you want to go first?
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, I, would, I think the biggest takeaway and the message that I've learned this year so far is to trust and rely on the truth, the truth that's deep embedded in your heart. Um, whatever that might be, because um, chances are if you lead with that, then you're going to overcome and be able to navigate um, and just be a better human for your family, your friends, whoever, your your coworkers. And so that is something that Daniel and I both are committed to. Uh, we are growing. We're thriving. Uh, however, we have to just be mindful that um, we got to give grace to each other. And um, we're, we're that is present, then we will flourish, and that is the same for our children. So, um, if they struggle with that, or if that's um, not been easy to do, just go back to that simple, just the truth of um, what's in your heart, and um, I think you know yeah. people people will definitely uh, benefit. So
0: that's good, Daniel. What about you?
3: Yeah, for me, I think uh, I think success was never accomplished by anyone alone, right? Success in corporate world, success in your marriage, success in, in friendships, family relationships, it's never done alone. So I'm a big proponent of, of the fountain and the, the drain theory and meaning uh you know, are you a fountain or a drain? Meaning sometimes I'm constantly pouring out to others, trying to help others out. And that in that case I'm a fountain. But there are other times when people that are I look up to and I'm learning from, and it could be just someone who is an older i.e. longer time father compared to me their kids are older they've raised more they've been married longer right doesn't necessarily have to be a former mentor but then you know they're a fountain to me so i'm the drain so constantly being that that uh, a conduit so to speak where sometimes you're pouring in others sometimes you are reaping the benefits of others and, and having that circle around you where you can make sure that you can uh, learn as well as continue to, to pass along and and for me that's Kind of the, the the way I've seen success come is to learn from others, be able to pass it on, and and take those those pearls of wisdom to enhance your own life.
0: Yeah, I man, I appreciate that. That that's a good word right there. I really appreciate y'all being a fountain, Daniel. I know we've had conversations where I may have been the drain and trying to understand um, some of this stuff better. So I really appreciate um, your grace and and your patience and and just your maturity in, in wisdom in a very difficult and complex, um, area right now. when, when it deals with, with race, Matt, wrap us up, man.
2: Yeah. I, Julia and Daniel, I appreciate you guys joining us today. Y'all have been a fountain for us. And, uh, you know, it's just so wonderful to hear, um, a family that's thriving, uh, any family that's thriving. Uh, it's, it's so great to hear that you guys are doing so well. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's a, um, it's a blessing to all of us to get to hear your experiences. So so thank you for sharing those with us. And, you know, this show is all about building us. And I know that you guys are working on building us, building your family. And and in doing so and in sharing your experience, you're you're creating to uh, to building us as as listeners. Thank you for that. Um, as we always end, as we always say, invest in your relationships. Thank you for doing that in your
3: home. Thank you so much for having us on, this. Yes, thank you so much. Dr.
1: Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit DrMattMorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated.